0: Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids check it out and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do all the authors have been on this podcast also check out my tiktok at with zivy and tracy my other podcast sex talk with zivy and tracy check out moms don't have time to write on medium and of course my new publishing company called zivy books and now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids hi hi hello enjoy the show Lisa Harding is the author of Bright Burning Things, a novel. Lisa is a writer, actress, and playwright. She received an M. Phil in Creative Writing from Trinity College, Dublin in 2014. Her short stories have been published in the Dublin Review, The Bath Short Story, Anthology, Headstuff, and Winter Papers. Harvesting, her first novel, won the 2018 Kate O'Brien Award and was shortlisted for an Irish Book Award and the Carey Group Irish Novel of the Year Award. She lives in Dublin. All right. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Bright Burning Things, a novel. It's a pleasure to be here and it's lovely to meet you. (laughs) Lovely to meet you too. (laughs) Could you please tell listeners what this novel is about?
1: Yeah. So this novel is about... Bad mom. No, she <laughs> yes. she's, she is an actress who is no longer acting, so that kind of you know that creative impulse is taken away from her. I think I heard you say something wonderful earlier, actually, about an injured athlete, and I thought, yes, that's, that's kind of like what Sonia's like. Basically, she's a very isolated woman with no supports, whose acting career has come to a full stop. Who's on her own, has a little boy and a rescue dog, and she's really struggling with profound isolation with trauma from her past, which hasn't been dealt with, and with sitting with herself. And then she turns to alcohol to try to soothe herself and then recreate those highs that she, you know, really misses from her acting career. But at the time we meet her in the novel, she's a full-blown alcoholic and she really is quite dangerous. There's a lot of mania and yeah so the little boy he's he's turning five, and there's a huge amount of love in there, but he he is at risk, and the dog she can't even care for the dog. I mean, she leaves the two of them together. But I think the thing about Sonya is she is full of love, and that's why I could
0: stay with her. Do you know when I was writing her? Well, her intentions always seemed so positive right? Like the moment where in one of your, in your opening scene where she goes swimming and leaves the, her son on the beach with the dog and this sort of concerned older woman comes over and is wondering why she's swimming in her underwear and why she's left her kids, a kid on the beach and the dog and everything. And yet she gets so fiercely protective. And, and, and as the reader, we're sort of alongside her being like, Hey, get away from that kid. You (laughs) know, like, who is this old lady? And then you slowly give us signs of, what it's really going, what's really going on, and how she's fantasizing about the bottle, mm. the cold bottle waiting for her, and and the mm. smoke in the kitchen. I mean, it's like you clearly get a sense that even though she is so positive and possessive, right, about her loved one, and how she's trying not to get him to cry in the back seat, like all the mother things, right? You you see quickly how perilous a situation it is. And perilous is a good word.
1: Yeah. And as you say, it's in spite of her better instincts. I know a lot about, you know, addiction and people in the grip of addiction and how I love that expression, the imp of the perverse. I don't know if you've heard of it, but Edgar Allan Poe, I don't know if he coined it, but he certainly spoke about it, but where people's impulses, you know, it's like a dark little imp kind of propelling you towards the destructive forces whereas there is this other instinct that, that's constantly battling in her particularly when she has clarity so she's either deeply hung over you know which makes her very cranky and her reality is distorted at the moment or she's drunk right at this point in the narrative and yeah it's it's a very distorted lens that she sees the world through but in her eyes As with, you know, any addiction or mental disorder, it all makes perfect sense in there. So it's kind of, I was really interested in writing that, how the world rubs up against her. And as you say, like, you know, she's constantly in conflict with herself and with the world outside her. But she doesn't have any support. Like nobody is looking out for her.
0: No, it's very
1: sad, you know. (laughs) Very sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, a few of my friends read the novel during COVID and they were like, wow, they're performers. A lot of my friends are performers. And that part, once it's cut away, it's like what you were saying about the athlete as well. Mm Or if you're used to living at such a level of intensity and that's taken away from you, you do feel bereft and you do feel slightly mad. You know, I was an actress for about 20 years and my own career stopped and I mean there were you know there, there was a variety of factors there but I remember facing the void thinking I'm mad <laughs> you know I have this like what am I going to do with this energy that used to go into performing yeah like Ruby Wax writes about it brilliantly I don't know if you've read any of her work about the getting addicted to the charge of attention and performing and so my Sonia very much an addictive personality
0: and Mm -hmm. it latches on to different things at different points in her life there's another book too it's sort of a different genre it's but it's called palm beach by mary adkins and in it the it centers on a man who used to be an actor and a working actor for many years and even was nominated Mm -hmm. for something and then he has a a throat, like a polyp type removed and he gets his nerves damaged or I'm not saying the science right. But anyway, I'll just say he couldn't be an actor anymore and went on to be a house manager in Palm Beach, which is what the story is about. Mm, But it's brilliant. It's about like how you go from doing something like that and something he was so good at and loved Mm. and was rewarded Mm. and then shifting. And of course this book sort of makes fun of the scene in Palm Beach of the uber wealthy, blah, blah, blah. But it's Mm. that same sort of post acting. And it's the same for athletes, you know, as I, I know I, I keep saying this, but Yeah. Athletes too. I mean, after this intensity, what next, what do you do? Where do you go? Very difficult. And we know, you know, a
1: lot of people, yeah, a lot of people have become very profoundly depressed. And, you know, I think Sonia is actually in a state of depression, although her, her actions are quite manic and, you know, she seems quite, because she does get, there is, you know, when alcoholism gets to that stage where she's drinking possibly three bottles of wine a night at this stage, really, it does bring on a a kind of a mania. And I think there's something very magical about Sonia because of the actress in her. I don't know if you remember, but there are scenes where... She she kind of play acts Shakespeare with her little boy, and she teaches him like <laughs> the lines, you know. And he's he's Romeo, and the little dog is dressed up, and it's it's like it's completely bonkers in in her world. But yeah, there's a lot of peril, and and it's awful to to know that a child is at risk despite the mother's better instinct, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a horrible thing to
0: witness. Sometimes I get. <laughs> like overwhelmed doing this podcast. Cause I feel like every book has a story about some poor child that has been traumatized or mistreated or something happens. And I'm like, D- it- is, are any kids out there? Okay. Like <laughs> maybe no. just not the ones in, in literature, maybe that's literature, it, you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. There's, there's a kind of a high stakes, isn't there? If you're, if you're writing about something like alcoholism
0: anyway yes um, but your writing style itself is so beautiful I mean I know you won a prize for your first novel and everything like that but it is so literary and beautiful and almost poetic the way you write about the most mundane thing I mean a scene with like a boy in the backseat of a car like I would say like the way I would write it <laughs> like, you know like the versus the way you wrote it it's it's unbelievable I don't know I'm trying to find when they were in the car As the car heats, fog forms on the windows. I draw a heart on the windscreen, keeping one hand on the steering wheel and write, Mommy loves you inside it. Tommy, look. I trace the letters with my fingertip, reading aloud. He opens his eyes, squinting, leans into Herbie, tries to hug him, arms only reaching a third of the way around his wide girth. The dog moans, a happy, contented sound. Good boy, Herbie, best boy. His thick tail thumps on the tatty nylon seats. My best boys, what would I do without you? And then you go on from there. It's just like so... Beautiful. And then you say, you think somebody's following her, somebody, the character thinks somebody is following him. And you say, I turn to the right, checking the mirror and see him still. But then no, it's not him. He was just having his fun, harmless fun. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. My heartbeat slows down as I think of the promise waiting for me in the fridge. I'm glad I had the foresight to do that. Chill it. It's hot in the car now and it's still warm outside. Oh, thanks, Ivy. It's good. It's lovely to hear it read out like that. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's just like such great writing. No words are wasted. Like, I just, I love this style. Oh,
1: thanks. Yeah, Yeah, it's not for everyone, that style, because it's quite staccato. And it did, like, I, I did climb right inside her and wrote her from the inside out. And as you've just read, it's the first person. So it's I, it's the first person, present tense. And yeah, it meant that I was living with this woman for three years. And, you know, there were aspects of writing her there were aspects of people I love and aspects of myself that I was like, oh you know, that it was quite difficult to write. But thank you for saying that about the prose because I think I do love lean prose. Like I love prose that 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 doesn't use it, you know, if you can get there quicker, get there. That, that's how I feel. I mean, I'm quite an impatient, jittery reader. And I I don't go in for like long pages of description or writers that are kind of, you know, pirouetting on the page. I do love that lean, mean machine style, but there's a little bit of poetry in there too, because I love language and I think she is she is very magical in her thinking. So Thank you for saying that. I
0: love that pure wedding on the page. That's really <laughs> You know cool. what I mean? <laughs> I do. I know exactly what you mean. I'm like, yes, I do. Sometimes that's really beautiful too. I mean, it depends. You know what the goal yeah, if
1: if it if exactly, I mean, if it merits it, I often think yes. like the form, you mm-hmm. know, the form and the and and the content need to kind of marry up for me. So yes. sometimes you can feel when a writer is really reaching, and sometimes, as you say, it's completely intrinsic to the to the way a writer writes. But I personally love yeah, getting getting to the bones yeah. of it, and 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 I love editing. I think editing is a huge part of writing.
0: Anytime I like write an essay or whatever, because my, my go-to form is essay writing. Anytime I finish, I'm like, okay, now I have to go back and cut a hundred words at least because Mm. it always gets better with fewer words. Mm. I don't know why. You know, it's what you're saying. Like you take out the stuff that you don't Mm. need and then it just makes it better.
1: Yeah. I mean, it suits how I write, Uh, but you know, like I was reading Madame Bovary again recently, you know, she's wonderful. Flaubert, but my God, he goes on. (laughs) And the adjectives and the adverbs. I know that was the style as well, but it's interesting, isn't it? And it does kind of lull you into that when you get into that world where it's really lush. The writing is really lush and, you know, you can kind of get in there. But I think the modern sensibility suits better that that approach, particularly in a first person as well. It, Mm -hmm. It would be completely unnatural for me to start writing long kind of, you know, overworked descriptions because it's through her eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to stay
0: true to her and what she sees and notices. It almost reminds me, have you read, there's a, it's a memoir in Recipes. It's called a memoir in, anyway, it's by Phyllis Grant. It's called Everything is Under Control. It came out right as the pandemic was starting. And she has a similar style in the sort of Mm -hmm. the way she parses words and how she can tell a whole story about like, I don't know, something terrible happening or whatever. And just a few images and a few, I don't know. I think you'd probably like mm, it. it. It sounds
1: wonderful. Yeah. I haven't read it. Thanks. Everything so is under right. control. Check it out. Yeah. It's yeah.
0: not long, it's, but it's a memoir. It's not a novel, but still. Mm. Anyway. The, any well, I should ask, maybe I shouldn't have, I shouldn't like, what do you like to read? I shouldn't, aside from Flaubert and, you know, <laughs> no, no. from Flaubert to, you know, Phyllis Grant in San Francisco. <laughs> what do I like to read? Yeah. What do you like to read? Dot com slash moms don't have time.
1: I mean, I adore Elizabeth Strout. Maybe who doesn't? But I, I really, I really admire her. I think Olive Kitteridge was one of the best creations. I love that. She was so spiky and so unlikable in so many ways. And again, a character that's kind of, you know, not able to take charge of her own tongue and so cruel to her son and husband at times and yet so capable of such extreme love and warmth to people outside so you know the 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 what do they call it the house devil street angel thing but I think Elizabeth Stride has a beautiful style and she writes with such heart but it's also quite funny and caustic you know yeah I really love her I love like I I read I mean it's part of what I do is reading which is really wonderful and you know I read very widely I love that Australian author Tim Winton don't know if you've come across him I haven't yeah, he's kind of remarkable. I've read all of his works. and I, I came across him because I saw a play of his at the National Theatre in London years ago. It was an adaptation of one of his novels called Cloud Street. And he creates these extraordinary worlds, I mean, in Western Australia. and he But he writes very differently to me in that, you know, he writes a lot about landscape and the place being a central character in his novels. But he's funny again. I do really, I really you know, the older I get as well, the more I really appreciate, even, I mean, I do go to the dark places in my writing, but I do appreciate the, you know, the ability to offset it against humour. I I love that. But i was just finished reading before I went back to Flaubert, The Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was Brian Moore, very grim, very grim, very beautiful, 1950s Ireland, this ageing spinster. And just this kind of aching portrait and loneliness, you know. And I love books in translation. I read a lot of French authors. There's this incredible novel called Beside the Sea. And I'm trying to remember her name. Veronique Olmi, O-L-M-I. And she's a playwright too. But she wrote this extraordinary novel it was quite a while ago about a mother with very serious depression, who's again is very isolated. And I'm not giving anything away, but she actually ends up because it's on the back of the book smothering her children oh boy thinking she's protecting them from this awful life but it's 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 so sparsely written and so tender if you can imagine
0: wow that sounds really good it's very powerful wow yeah okay Okay. Mm -hmm. as if I needed my reading list to grow but thank you for that (laughs) so when you're not uh, when you're not reading and (laughs) writing what do you do like what's your life like
1: well, it's been pretty limited in the last couple of years and restricted. Ireland has had a tough time with COVID. We've had quite, you know, extreme lockdowns here. So I am not a mother and I live with my rescue dog. And so a lot of the things that I love to do, like my dance class and, you know, teaching creative writing and being with friends, going to the cinema, going to the theatre, that was so much a part of my life. It was a good balance with the writing stopped so I feel like I'm just kind of emerging back into life and I feel a little bit like <laughs> like I hit the 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 madness of Sonia thankfully I don't have an addiction to substance but, you know and God but that you know that thing where you're on your own too much and your thoughts just go round and round it's very hard to interrupt from even if you're conscious but what I love to do is I love to hike in the mountains. One, like we weren't even allowed to go beyond two kilometres here. So I couldn't I couldn't even go up the mountains for hiking, which I would do every weekend. I've got back into it. And I love to I love my rescue dog. And Herbie is such a big character in the book. And yes. I think he's one of my favourite characters. <laughs> I can see your beautiful dog there. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I love like there's so many things. I love dance and I love going to theatre and reading and yeah hanging out with friends so it's just like life is beginning to come back to normal but then we're getting all this dreadful I don't know media stuff at the moment so Ugh, I, I think genuinely I think people that lived alone during the pandemic is you know a few quite a few of my friends are single I mean it seems to be I don't know it's a, a great proportion of society I don't know what it says about society now but are living alone right And I think that's had a great toll on people's mental health. I don't think we fully understand, but the impact of kind of being locked down on your own in a space and everything going online was very, very peculiar. Yes.
0: Um, I agree. I think that many of the effects, the effects of people who are alone, the effects on children, the effects mm -hmm. on, I mean, I know that mental health and children, I was just at this event by the child mind Institute, like they don't even know the full to be. A, they were calling them like COVID kids. Like, what does that mean? What does of it mean course. when you grow up and you can't see people's faces? And yeah. but you're right, isolation and. I mean, I felt like I was going out of my mind all the time, mm. you know. But mm.
1: anyway, and I th- yeah, and I think I remember like some of my friends, you know, are in partnerships and they have kids, and some of them, not all of them, but some of them said it was beautiful time because they got to spend time with their partner and their kids in a way they hadn't because they had such busy lives, and I and that really can make people feel quite bereft that don't have that interesting you know what I mean like because it threw you back on this kind of supposed idea they'd use the word bubble or but family and if people's family relations are very stressed or they don't have that yeah I think that there was just people really kind of looking at their life choices and thinking you know oh yeah what is this Yeah, But also the the alcoholism thing that I've written about in the book where people turning to alcohol, Mm -hmm. that's really been on the rise. And also, you know, we know abuse within relationships where that was already there. There was times where I would actually get overwhelmed, really overwhelmed when I think of kids that were in families where all this was going on. Mm -hmm. And I. And I know, you know, it does. And I have a friend who works for Women's Aid It's here in Ireland. And she was saying like the the amount of phone calls from women in these situations and children just not even getting out to school. So not getting their usual outlets, you know, and where everybody's kind of stuck in a pressure cooker. So, yeah, in a weird way, that character that I wrote, who's so profoundly isolated, it kind of a lot of people ended up living that life you know
0: mm-hmm. wow mm. makes me very sad
1: mm. yeah I know it's I scary. hope I just yeah I hope people are okay I mean I think there's a kind of a, a PTSD out
0: there don't yes. you like I think yes. people
1: are I got on an airplane for the first time. I don't know if you've
0: traveled. Oh my gosh. The first time I went on an airplane, I like Mm. was having a panic attack. Mm. Literally. I had a panic attack Mm. going to a football game. I was like, I can't do this. I can't like, Mm. it's been really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was hard getting back. I feel like I've crossed over some thing, like thing as there are more and more events, like I'm getting used to it. But yeah, Mm. I spoke to some woman. She's like, you know, you have like undiagnosed PTSD right now. Mm. Like that is Mm. why everything is loud and everything is, hard mm. and you're scared to go to a restaurant and all the stuff because it mm. took me a very
1: emotions long. are very like very raw yes. Um, yes so yeah and the way Sonia in the book lives her life it's kind of like everything is hyper saturated and yeah she feels everything way too intensely and you know?
0: yes no I get it <laughs> I, <laughs> I think so many people will will get it oh my gosh well it was so beautiful are you working on anything now
1: I am. Actually, my first book has been optioned for a film and we've just Ooh. handed in a yeah a screenplay. with. The, there's this It's called the British Film Industry, BFI, yes, so yes. this side of the world, and that's in development. And then this Bright Burning Things has just been optioned. And I was talking to a, a wonderful Irish director and we're discussing about turning it into a series, actually. Ooh. So, yeah, I will be involved in that. I won't be the only writer and I'm writing novel number three. Which is actually funnier. It's dark because it's kind of my bent, but it is it is funnier. And all I know so far because I'm in the process of writing it, and I never know what I'm writing really. But it's about a group of first year college students who come from very dysfunctional homes and kind of find themselves and form this alternative family, and then they kind of turn on each other. So it is pretty dark. It's almost cult like what they create.
0: Oh, mm. that also
1: sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. Wow but i'm but it's funnier, you know, I am enjoying rising it probably has a little bit more of a thriller edge, mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm allowing myself go there.
0: well, I hope you're allowed to get out of your house more.
1: <laughs> I know well, it's beginning <laughs> to open up, but then in in Ireland, like in Dublin, they're very, very frightened here because of our health care system. it can get overwhelmed very easily, and they're you know they're talking about all these kind of bringing in more restrictions, so oh, no. And we're coming into the winter here and our last winter, um, God, we were locked down fully for three months, two kilometers. And I think everybody's just in fear that's going to happen again, you know, really.
0: Oh. Mm. I'm sorry. I'll be I'll be. No, thinking. we'll be OK, won't
1: we? I mean, look, we're all the, I don't know what the percentage in America is, but a lot of
0: us are vaccinated. I could just keep you here in like a zoom in the corner of my screen. We could just hang out, you know. No, zoom doesn't do it for me though. I know. It's, I know. it's no, like this weird alternate reality, isn't it? Yes, I agree. I'm mm. ready for 3D. <laughs> Maybe Zoom mm. has to up to 3D or something. Maybe someone's working yeah. on that. Anyway, Maybe. last question, do you what is your advice to aspiring authors?
1: Yeah, no, aspiring authors, as in an author hasn't written anything yet. I think it's really good to find a creative writing class. I think that's a great idea and to give you impetus and support in the beginning. And then what I did was I moved from, you know, I, I did go back and do an MPhil, but you don't have to at all. Just do a course. There's so many amazing courses online at the moment as well. And then it's lovely to be part of a writing group. And, you know, and I'm part of a very supportive writing group at the moment. And they're wonderful. It's a wonderful bunch of women. And yeah, to have and, and to have people that you really respect their opinion, I think is important and respect their writing. That's important to me anyway, because I don't want to take advice from someone, <laughs> you know, that I don't I like guess. Like, yes. mm. But yeah, I think it's good to seek out people who are on the same journey. It's a great advice.
0: Excellent. Mm. Well, Lisa, thank you. I'm so glad our paths crossed. And thank you for introducing me to your, your character and sort of taking me in. And, you know, I just love the way you write. So
1: thank you. Sabina. It's been lovely to meet you. Thank you so okay. much for okay. having me. All right. bye, Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.